my name is Jason McCormick, and um, I'm the cinematographer from Dahmer. Hello, and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Jason McCormick, the director of photography of Dahmer, Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story on Netflix. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a Go Creative Show. Um, we decided to take August off from recording episodes. Of course, we were releasing throughout August, but we didn't record in August because, to be perfectly honest with you, BC Media Productions, my production company, has just really grown and has had a lot of success in the past year, and we just were too busy. It's just it's a two-person operation here, and my producer, Connor, and I are also the producers for the production company, so we just had to... We had to kind of put Go Creative Show on a little bit of a hold while we focused on production work. So we figured if anybody would understand that, it would be the audience here at Go Creative Show. So I hope you guys are not too upset with us, but we love you and we missed you and we are so happy to be back. And thank you so much for your support while we were away for a little while. With that, let's jump into our interview with Jason McCormick. So Jason, uh, this show has had a lot of controversy a lot of uh, first of all everyone loves it i love it everyone i'm talking to is like this is this is the show everybody's talking about it it just all of a sudden became in everyone's consciousness and you start looking online and you realize that there's quite a bit of pushback on it as well as a claim and i'd like to just see if you know this is something you'd like to respond to no i don't i i think that um I think that if I've learned anything in the last few weeks is that uh, there's no shortage of mediocre opinions. And um, I think everybody's entitled to them. And I think that's uh, part of what, uh, what we do in that uh, everyone's an expert. Um, but, um, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, it's like, I, I, you got to kind of just look at the spectrum of it all and decide where you want to rest your, your heart. I think that goes for the same for literally anything in, um, popular culture right now. I mean, like just, we can riff off of anything. What color iPhone should I get? You know? And it's like going to be like, purple. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's but, my I answer. Mean, perf- <laughs> you know, purple could be played out. Like it, it's just, I, I, I get it. I hear it, but I also think that, there's a, um, I find a lot of the energy towards it, um, is, uh, unsubstantiated. And I think that people try to ride off of shit just to get their voice heard. And so you want to say some shit like somebody, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to stir the pot anymore, but like, you know, I don't know. I just kind of stay in my lane and I do my work and, uh, I had my, my opinions on the project when I took it. And, um, we assembled a really good crew and we worked really hard and, um, you know, people are going to take it the way they're going to take it. Does that make sense? It does. What was your opinion when you first took on the project? I mean, I read the first, you know, it was COVID, right? Which, uh, was like six months of like quarantine at the time. So it was like September of 2020. And I got a call from my friend, uh, Scott Robertson, and um, he approached me for the project, and he sent me three scripts. And there was a little sense of urgency to read them. 
So I, um, I got into it in the first half. I was just like, what the fuck? Like, this is fucked up. Like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. Why? What, why would you say that? It just was like, I was feeling like it might be something that's like, you know, it started feeling like maybe it was going to be gratuitous, Mm. uh, or some kind of, I'm not really into that. I'm not really into the genre of scaring people, whatever that genre is called. If it's horror or, um, you know, I'm just not into it. And, um, so I started reading it. And then as I got further into the script, I started seeing it as, uh, you know, it's like my interpretation. I'm not saying that this was the interpretation, but my interpretation was, I saw it as like maybe a statement on our country, a statement on our society that, something someone like this could exist on our watch a creation of an existence of a monster that you could point to multiple places where um one might point blame or one one might find causality um what's that uh, adam agoyan film the sweet hereafter you ever I'm see not that film? With it. No, no. It's like a great film, man. And it's like a bus falls into a, a, a bus filled with kids, has an accident, the kids all die. And in the end, you know, they're looking for something to blame. And it's like a fucking screw and the wheel came out. Um, so I kind of like, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses for Jeffrey Dahmer uh, or even try to claim that I have any understanding of who he was or what, what went through his mind, but just for me, I feel like I'm paid to observe. And my observation was, wow, like, you know, from the pharmaceuticals that were given to his mother and the, uh, you know, the surgery he had school, alcoholism, parenting, there was a lot of like opportunities early on to like maybe catch something to catch a monster before it came into existence. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, we're all human beings, right? So, um, he had an opportunity to be good. I'm sure of it, but, or maybe not, you know, it depends. That's another philosophical debate, you know, is, mm. is, is, are people inherently evil or can they be? <clears throat> so that's kind of how I took it. And so that inspired me because then it was like, I started looking at it like on the level of like, you know, the wire or something like, I like that idea of like a, a project that might make a statement about something bigger you know, it wasn't just about like, um, you know, slashing and killing and gratuitous, um, images for people that are into that shit. It was more of a story about, um, us as a culture and how, how, um, how these, like, it's, it's, it's our fault just as much as anybody else's being the police. It's like, you can go on and on racism. Yeah. I mean, so I, many, I so many, so many things. I was actually kind of surprised by how not gratuitous it was, how not gory it was, especially because, you know, Ryan Murphy, there's years and years of American Horror Story, and that show really pushes the boundaries of gore and fear. And you hear that, you know, he and that crew are going to be doing a show about Dahmer, and you think it's going to be all blood and guts and sawing people up, and it really wasn't. Like, there was so much restraint, and I think the storytelling and the cinematography and everything that— it was much more appealing to me. It fit It fit much more of like what I enjoy in a show than something a little bit more, you know, gruesome as American Horror Story. See, I've never seen any of those shows. I've never watched one episode of it. And um, 
Mr. Murphy has become a really good friend of mine. You know, Ryan's really cool. Um, but my only experience with him was uh, OJ and uh, Versace, both of which I found were really entertaining. Yeah, you got and the then, real good stuff. <laughs> and then again, you know, to coming me. in, coming in with with Scott. You know, Scott's my dude. You know, if you look Scott up, you know he produced Blonde. Um, he's he's been around a long time, a really prolific um, person within our industry. So I was guided by that, his taste, because I know Scotty wouldn't get involved in some bullshit. And um, and I'm not like going to do something like that. So it didn't even cross my mind. Like I have never seen Glee. I've never seen Nip Tuck. I've never seen any of these other Ryan Murphy projects. So for me, it was just kind of seeing it for what it was, you know, yep. which I think is a healthier way to, to do things. Because, you know, if you want to talk some more shit, like how many people talk shit in these articles and then fuck around and talk about his contract? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. You know, like the context of the, the quality of the work in relation to how much the man was paid for a contract seem like have to have nothing to do with each other. So um, I'm really happy that I just came into it with a fresh perspective. And I just, you know, I didn't have any, I listened to what he said and what he wanted. Uh, and uh, he and I clicked from the very first conversation. So I felt like I had, uh, was given, um, you know, of freedom of a creative vision to, to explore and to pursue. And, um, that's all I cared about. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Like it didn't matter to me, like any, like whatever, like another project or anything like that. I, I didn't, I didn't have any kind of pre, um, preconceived notions about what it oh. might be, or I don't want it to be like this. Cause I heard this or that, like, yeah. I, I think that, that. It, it, that I think is the best way. I think you're, you positioned yourself in a way to really make this your own and not kind of be bogged down by, you know, um, previous work. And I think there's something very fresh and new about that. And I think you can tell when you watch it, that there's a fresh perspective on it. Um, I'd like to hear from you. So you get the script, you start reading it, you determine that it is something you want to work on. Uh, you know, you're working with Ryan, like, can you describe to me the look of the show? Uh, it's funny. Cause there was like a point where he called me, uh, he called me on like a, a tone meeting with the director with a bunch of people on the call and asked me to do the same thing. It's funny. Like this, this idea that uh, you describe a look, right? Like put me on the spot and like, okay, what does it look like? I'll say this, you know, the very first conversation we had, was, um, you know, he described to me that he wanted it to feel like Zodiac. Mm. And, uh, he said he wanted every frame locked off like a painting. And, um, he referenced a couple other films. I think it was like newsroom, but he gave me enough to get an understanding. And then, you know, putting it in full context, you know, my mentor shot Zodiac and I was the first AC on it. And, uh, my mentor, uh, you know, passed away about a decade ago. And, uh, during the, the last few years that I was assisting him, you know, you talk about like, it takes 10 years before you even start to do good work. So I'm sitting in my underwear, in my living room, you know, talking on a, on a conference call with Ryan and two producers about this. And he says, you know, Zodiac and you know, these, these references. And it's like, 
well, I'm entering the 10th year at that time. It was the beginning, you know, I was going into what would be my 10th year. So no way. when all that kind of came together, I was just like, you know, you, you called the right dude. Cause, um, I had every intention of, you know, honoring, uh, honoring him and honoring, uh, the people that brought me in the business and invested time in me, uh, to get to this position. So, you know, it's, uh, it's always something on every project. Like, you know, on book smart, it was just a photograph for me. Um, there's always some place where you find a spark. So I got the spark from the very first phone call. And then from there, I just, I just went with it, you know, and I started pulling images, which is sort of like, I think a standard process, but it's definitely my process. I like to pull photographs, uh, try not to over-reference films too much more, just like still photography. Of course I'll, I'll pull images from films as well. Uh, if it speaks to something or a certain scene, you know, or it conveys something that's like in a moment that is important to me, or like, I really like the way these people look at a table. This is a good reference for like two people sitting at a table. So, um, I just went down that path and I started pulling, you know, and then once I got my gaffer involved, Manny Tapia, who I've been working with for 15 years now, since he was the best boy and I was a second AC, <clears throat> you know, we doing music videos with like one Kino and a shitty ass, you know, DV camera <laughs> and, and just, just he and I, like we go way back. So we started pulling images. I started pulling images and then you just kind of build, but it's like, it's sort of hard to articulate. You know, it really is yeah. like, I think Ryan said something. He wanted it to feel like it was like a urinal cake. He wanted like the yellow, which to me just speaks to like tungsten lighting. You yeah. know, what's the seventies? Well, it's like, it's the sources, right? It's like, it's tungsten light um, or it's, you know, nasty fluorescence or, um, you know, mercury vapors or sodiums. Like, you know, it's like the lights that existed in the seventies speak, highly to like how the things are going to look. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess, you know, my own personal aesthetics and taste that, uh, you know, being, this is something, you know, being a cinematographer is something that I've wanted since I was like 21, something I've pursued a long time. So you have all that, you know, kind of influencing you a little bit, but the look of it, it wasn't like, I hate that shit, you know, like, well, what's it going to look like? You know, I, it's going to look good. <laughs> like, well, can you describe it? Well, shit. Uh, it's two four Oh, um, you know, like it's so much to do with production design and costume and hair and makeup and props. Like there's so much in front of the camera before I even get to work. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of focus in on my LUT development, you know, that's sort of like an area where in terms of a look <clears throat> and I try to like, I work with, great colorist. And, uh, that's kind of where I spend like a lion's share of my energy in, in the beginning part. Cause then it's like, that's my film stock, you know, and that's, that sort of speaks to, well, that's what the show is going to look like. But there's always like this weird thing where, you know, like Ryan put me on the spot, you know? And so on that one, you know, okay, well, it's a composed camera. There's no steady cam. We didn't have steady cam, you know, it's, it's allowing people to come and go into a frame. It's just having like a fixed position. It's taking a perspective that's 
objective, never subjective, because you could never be in Dahmer's perspective because that would just be fucking insane to assume that you could understand that. But I mean, I think you could say that same answer for like so many fucking films. I, I don't even, I don't know. Well, what I, try, does that, I try not what, to over intellectualize it, I guess is what I'm saying. It comes a lot from like feeling and then, I don't know, testing and then you shoot and, and then they're happy or they're not happy. <laughs> well, when you hear that, that Ryan wants locked off shots, is that something that excites you? Does it frustrate you? Like, what is it? Because now you're like, what are you going to, you're going to push back on Ryan's suggestion? Like you have, you kind of have to do it at that point. So is it something that you right away? I mean, the very first thing said, he yes, said, that's perfect. I mean, the very first, he said that, and then we had six months of prep because of COVID. You know, we had three months, and then we went down, and then we had another three months. They brought me in really early because they wanted me to prep all the scripts. Mm. So I didn't even have a director uh, until like a month out. And um, he comes, we build the set. It's all built. It's lit. Um, I do hair makeup tests like I've never done before, like where I put the actor through the full works on the set fully lit and we shoot it, you know, and it's like, this is what the show is going to look like, which is fucking cool. You oh, know, that's it's, awesome. It's, it's what really an opportunity. Nice to, really nice to get to do that. And then Ryan shows up for the first rehearsal and he's like, as soon as he locks the door, he wanted it to change. And the way he'll work is he'll, he does, he'll make a suggestion and um, it's up to you to like go with it or, you know, propose a rebuttal. And when he said that, you know, and I was with Carl Franklin at the time who I love dearly. Um, it just, it made sense. So I just rode with it. I try not to hold on too tight, I guess is the point, you know, Yeah. especially in a situation where you're collaborating, you know, like you can't get into a position where it's just like, no, like, you know, you said this, like, I'm going to fight. It's like, no, I think you have to, you have to be flexible. Now, when other directors came in and they didn't get those memos that Ryan said, you know, that became a challenge because then a new director comes in and he wants to do push-ins all the time, which were kind of going against what was said. Then you're in this awkward position of trying to be like, well, he said he, okay, you know, so it's like, then yeah, it's what a do fine you do, line. What do you do in that situation? it's really uncomfortable and it's, I don't really, I don't ever want to be in that situation ever again. So help me God. I'll, you know, hopefully this project will, will allow me to, I mean, basically I finished the project and I said, I would never work with uh, multiple directors again. And it's nothing against the other directors. Cause I, I have a great deal of respect for them. And I think that they all did a good job. It's just a, it's just a conundrum of working when there's like a showrunner. Yeah, And then there's somebody who's doing like a pilot and then there's somebody who's doing an episode. And so they're kind of like bound to the script. And I've actually shot for Ryan before I did a project afterwards with him. I did a pilot and it's much more like making a film in that, like he looks at a scene and it'll be like, well, this is, I'm saying we're going to dump this scene. We're not going to shoot it. And you're like, thank you. Yeah. Cause we don't need it. It's totally like the scene does nothing, but you're working with like a director who's hired to shoot episodes and they're handed a script and they're not going to say like, Hey, this scene is whatever, you know, they're going to do it. And they want to do coverage because, you know, they want to get hired again. You know, they don't want to be put into, they're, they're hired to do a job. And that's the interesting thing about, um, an episodic director 
versus an auteur, you know, or uh, somebody who is, who has autonomy, the ability to, to say no, or I'm changing this, or I don't want to do that. So that was really challenging. Um, I think, uh, I think in the end, um, you know, you just try to like push for what the best idea is and try your best to not let your ego get in the way and, and listen and do your best to like, you know, it's a fine line, you know, you want to stand your ground, uh, and your ground is based off of like your opinion and your taste, not necessarily your ego, but like, if you think like this looks good and then somebody's pushing you into a direction that you don't agree with, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And, uh, Plus, you've been connected to it for so much longer. Well, yeah, you, I mean, I'm you're kind of like, I know what this is supposed to be. Like, it, that's got to be so frustrating. But at the same time, that seems very commonplace to have episodic directors. It just seems, or or at least blocks. You know, somebody doing two, and it just seems like that's pretty common. Yeah, it is. It's totally common. And this is my first episodic. I'd never done any episodic prior to this, so it was it was a learning curve for me as well. Like, you know, understanding that. But certainly, like, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, I scouted these locations before you even had a job. You know, I was with the production designer and uh, we chose these locations before you even knew who the director was going to be. And so you kind of already are like, well, I chose it because of this. Yeah. And then they come in and it's like you might not even get a chance to prep with them, which makes it even worse because then you're not getting into a rhythm. And so now it's like you're like you know, they're location scouting things that you already found. And then they're like, no, I want to look at it like this way. And you're like, what? No, like that. Oh man. And like, you know, it just, it's really, really, really challenging. And like I said, um, yeah, I don't ever, built everything I don't, I don't ever want to do way. it again. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that frustration. I definitely can see it. And thank you for, I mean, I was warned. I was warned. I called the homies. I called people who've done episodic, who some you were of warned about you, the, the whole idea of working with episodic directors or. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I did my due diligence, you know, I called cinematographers, you know, some of whom you've interviewed, like you know, great DPs who've done it and they kind of tipped me off to like this thing. And you're just like, well, that ain't going to happen to me. Like, you know, like all of a sudden, all of a sudden someone's showing up and being like, all right, two cameras with zooms, you know, pointing at each other. And you're like, yeah, well, I'm not going to go through that. And then you go through it, you know, uh, it can be, it's really a challenge, but you know, it wasn't, it, it, I think at the, I think when it's all said and done, you just have to look at the work. And I think based on, based on crowd reaction, like the right decisions were made, and uh, how we got to those was how we got to them. But I, uh, I think, you know, it's hard for me to talk shit too much because it, it was really successful. So, you know, it's more about like, what's, what am I comfortable with? And what, what sparks joy for me? And for me, I would be really hesitant to ever want to work with like strangers. It's like being in an arranged marriage. They didn't hire me. Mm-hmm. They didn't choose me. Sometimes they don't even know who you are, you know, like they don't, they didn't take the time to like look you up or do any research. So they're just like, you're just thrown in a room together. And it's like, I mean, there's literally like volumes of studies on the failures of an arranged marriage. It's not, it's not ideal. It's no different in that situation. Let's talk about the camera package you chose, uh, filtration, all of those kind of gear decisions. 
mm. for Dahmer. What did you choose? I did a lot of testing, a ton of testing. I test to the point of exhaustion, to the point where I wish I never started testing. Uh, and I wish <laughs> that I had just made a choice from the beginning and ran with it. And a lot of times my first choice is exactly what I end up shooting, but I still need to test. Uh, and in the end, I, I ended up with the Sony Venice um, and uh, the Tribe 7 uh, binaries, the black wings. And the filters, uh, I use a kind of a lot of different types of filters. I use a lot of diopters and I use, um, I use diffusion. So I'll kind of like, you know, do some diffusion tests and diopters is sort of like a, a standard for me. I always use diopters. I'm hearing so much more about those being used, um, in interviews. So it's like everyone's kind of got them in their kit again. They're sort of experimenting with them again. It's been popping Di up diopters? in interviews. Diopters, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I found it on uh, Booksmart because I wanted to shoot the T-Series, right? And then the 40 didn't exist yet. And the 40 was a close focus. It was going to have like 13 inches. <clears throat> and the 40 that I got was a G-Series. And um, I didn't want to use it because it just it looked different than the rest of them. Mm. So I ended up using the 35, but the 35 wasn't close focus, so I used diopters. And then from there, we just started noticing um, just the way the bokeh was affected. Um, and then, you know, we would get like eighth and a quarter, like thin diopters. Just so it wasn't always about close ups. It was just about like messing with it a little bit. Yeah. And um, I, I found that like my assistants, you know, they, they're staring at monitors all day and they would get really into it. You know, Sarah, my first AC on this, who I adore. Um, you know, she started stacking them, you know, we started just fucking around. So it's like, cool. Cause then it's like, it becomes, you know, it's an active participant in the, in the show. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like them for the camera. Sony Venice, it, you, I'm guessing you didn't have the opportunity to use the Venice two on this. Cause it was, it didn't too, exist too. Yeah. It was too far, too far away. Um, but how did you end up to the Venice? You said you tested and tested, what, what were you? Yeah, with? I mean, was... it's just at the time, you know. Again, like you know, I kind of talked to my friends. Um, you know, talked to like uh, you know great DPs who I respect a great deal, and I just sort of like kicked around. I talked to DITs who stare at images all the time, and I just you know, hey, what do you like? What do you feel like? You know, like how do you feel about this camera or, or that camera? And um, you know, my prior film. The high note we shot on 65, Aerie 65, and I love that film. I love the way it looks. Um, uh, Book Smart, I shot on an Alexa. You know, I had done some work with the Red on projects before, uh, and I just never used it. And when I was testing uh, Book Smart, the Venice was launched, so it was too new, it wasn't ready. But by the time I did this, it was basically, you know, you had LF. Um, if you're talking full frame, you know, you had LF, you had the red, and then you had, um, the Venice. And what I liked about the Venice was the ability to use that Rialto so that I could have like a, a really, um, like a small format camera. Yeah. Explain that Rialto. That's something I wanted to ask you about because, you know, I've read, I've read stories about it. It's, it's relatively new, but it's kind of a unique way of using it. So how do you describe it? What can you explain it? Yeah. Um, it's basically, it's, basically the size of like 
I don't know, like a pizza box or something like that. And it, it's, it, uh, it has an umbilical cord that goes back to the body. So, and then it has a mount. So it allows you to, you know, you could, you could put it on a head if you needed to, you could put it, you, know, you could stuff it in a corner. Um, you know, you could handhold it. And I really liked the, um, I just liked it. It just was like, it just kind of gave you like a fresh, um, a fresh perspective that sometimes you would be limited with and thinking about a project that was going to be like six months, um, you know, having internal NDs and the dual sensor, you know, there was like things that were attracted to attractive to me that I haven't used. Um, and we tested and I tested the red and the, the LF and the Venice all together. And truth be told, any one of them could be made to look beautiful. Yeah, They really can. I mean, you could, if you get a good colorist and they really, uh, they really can dial it in, you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference. You're really getting into subtleties and that's like really getting into like, you know, being like a sommelier or some shit. Like you could really, I mean, I could spot them out, but like, if you just put, if you gave it to me, just blank, like I might not be able to notice. Um, so it just had enough like things that, that seemed interesting to me. It seemed like they would be useful over the course of the project. And they were a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but I'm doing yeah. a new project now and I'm shooting the Alexa 35. So it's not like I'm not married to, um, any technology or equipment at all. I just kind of like each one, just like what fits, you know? Yeah. And you shouldn't be, I mean, technology changes all the time. You don't need to have an allegiance to anything. Plus it's just kind of what makes sense for the project. Are you interested in the Venice too? Have you had a chance to play with it? I did a little bit after um, it came out. It came out like after we finished Dahmer. We shot Dahmer in twenty in twenty twenty one. So it came out like towards the end. I think I don't remember exactly, but uh, I did. I did like a commercial or something, and I had the same DIT James Petersmeyer who I worked with on Dahmer, and it was like. It's like the same, but sharper, like, yeah. you know, which isn't necessarily what you want. Like uh, sometimes with the Venice, I notice like you have to take away a little bit, like in the grade, I was dumbing it down, you know, rather than like pushing it, it was pulling it back too much that information, too much sharpness, too much clarity. So like kind of pushing it down a little bit. And so I think uh, the, the two is more. I have a lot of experience with Sony cameras. I have limited experience with the Venice, but across the line, they are kind of known for that crispness and sharpness. And I and I find even myself, like I'm, I always am looking for like new filtration to put in front of it, softening it in post, all sorts of things just to like, to dumb it down, like you said, in a way, just to take away that little bit of a clinical edge to it. Yeah, I mean, I think Sony's kind of like dominating in terms of like sensors, like yeah. speaking in stills. I mean, most like big camera companies are using Sony sensors. Um, so they certainly have it like, you know, they have they have something going on, obviously. But um, yeah, I see the same thing when I see the stills. But that being said, like I can see a still from a like a Sony still camera that I think is just like beautiful, you know, because of all that fidelity. It's yeah. just really about like your, your taste and also like the execution, who's doing it, what's in front of the camera, how they handle it. But it's certainly something that would be easy to make look bad, you know, whereas like, I think an Alexa might roll out of the box a little bit more user-friendly. 
-hmm. like the image is already there. You don't have as much maybe like information, but then like, you know, an Alexa, I think is a little bit more, uh, uh, people that are pro Alexa, I should say, you'll hear commonly, like it's about the skin tones. They like the skin tones or the Sony feels too thin. Like I have a friend who's a big, like airy guy. And he was like, you know, he really liked Dahmer and he thought that, you know, we did a good job with the, with the Venice sensor, not making it look, you know, too thin. And I was just like, I didn't do anything really different than I did on the last (laughs) one. It's just like, I don't know. We've got a couple of audience questions along these same lines. Um, David Sanguine, uh, Sanguetti, 41 on Instagram, wants to know your approach to warm night interiors. Warm night interiors. Well, I mean, I guess he's speaking to warm night interiors. I mean, grandmas, we shot a lot of night interiors and it's a lot of lamps. So, I mean, I love the, I love the look and the quality of tungsten light. Um, sometimes, uh, you get into trouble when you dim it down cause it goes red on the skin. So you have to be careful. I kind of learned that a hard way, but, um, I think like that's something that's maybe evolved a little bit on my approach, um, is like using a mix of like tungsten and led, like depending on who and what's being lit and how it's being lit. Um, you kind of just, are you, are you the type of, uh, you know, cinematographer that just kind of lets the practicals be what they are and just whatever, whatever comes you work with, or do you like to really carve out everything with additional lighting? I mean, I measure everything we meter. I use my color meter way more than, than my um, incident meter uh, with digital, but um, we definitely, I'm definitely really like sensitive to like what the color is. Maybe I start with a base like what's that lamp? Okay. It's at, it's at 2,800 or it's at 2,300. All right. You know, is that an led bulb or is it, is it a tungsten bulb? Okay. And then like, where's the actor? Like, all right. And, um, you know, I mean, when you're working on a set too, you have a lot of control, everything's on a dimmer, you know, you can, you can really like fine tune everything, but definitely very like conscious. Like it's not like just sh- like flip the lights on and like shoot (laughs) but uh you know you have all those practicals and it's like some of them you know they're they're kind of wild horses and that's kind of the fun of it like there was one in in the grandma's apartment that like it did so much good work for us and i didn't there was like one scene where i like i forgot to turn it on and then when i went in for the close-up um uh i remember that i hadn't turned that light on and uh it was just a little bullshit practical sitting over the TV, but it did so much and it wasn't like necessarily part of my lighting plan. But, you know, I think that's the, that's the fun of working with practicals and kind of like, you know, lighting an environment, so to speak, rather than just like lighting people where they stand. Um, Those types of things happen. Did you have a particular, like, can you, can you point to one of the more challenging uh, lighting scenes for you. That's actually a question from Julian Budge on Instagram. So thank you for that question. But I think you know, I just want to know. Yeah, I, I would definitely say Club 219 was a real pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> Why? Because it's it's happened to me and Manny a couple times. There's it just it doesn't it never ceases to amaze me. There's always this like point. It's happened a couple times where they're just like, well, I don't know, you know, they're, Jason will just go in there and like 
you know, just like figure it out with lights. And you're like, like the fuck, you know, like we, could I have like, you know, like a proper, you know, like rendering, (laughs) like, can you, it's a, it's a thing, you know, so you're working with the production designer and it was like, you know, he's, he's talking to Ryan club 219 was originally supposed to be like a little dive bar. That's when I read it originally. It was like a little dive bar, but then Ryan was like, it's not a dive bar. It's, it was more like a, like a poor man's studio 54. So, you know, you're, you go into a space and you're scouting and it's like, it's COVID. So it's like half the places aren't open. I mean, we were in the middle of it. Like it was, it wasn't, um, you know, it was still like really like intense and you go into a, a room that's basically a big black box. And then they're like, well, what do you think? You're like, well, what the fuck do you think? I think like, there's nothing to think it's a big black box. Um, so we just, you know, it was just a lot of back and forth. And, uh, I think we finally got into like, you know, uh, Matthew Ferguson, who's, who's a real sweetheart, really, really nice man. Um, you know, we got in, finally got like some renderings and then in the end it was just, you know, Manny and I looking at it and being like, okay, well, you know, like how period correct do we go? You know, cause certain lights didn't exist then, you know, how much do we play with that? And, um, uh, in the end it turned out really great. Like that plus like the color con that I used from Camtech, which kind of like has an RGB, <clears throat> Uh, it's like an RGB uh, filter tray and you can push light from any corner in any color. <clears throat> so if I had like a red, you know, uh, a red mover, you know, in the club, I could kind of like add a red accent to the flare and it would kind of accentuate it. So it was one of those things where I feel like Manny and I have been in these things a few times. Um, um, along with beef, our great key grip. Um, but you just kind of like, it's just like a street fight. Like, <laughs> all right, fuck it. It's on, you know, just going to start swinging. I'm probably going to get clipped a couple times, but we won, you know, that's how I what, looked at it. Like we what was won. that fixture like, you were just talking about? You said there was something that you could, you could make adjustments on the corners to accentuate the flares and stuff. What, what did you mean by that? It's called a color con. Um, cave on over at Camtech, uh, over there. Uh, they have this, uh, oh, there it is. There, yeah, I'm a, looking at it, it right now. Yeah. It's a filter tray and you put a, oh, you put a, I you put see, a filter see, in it, a filter tray. I thought you were talking yeah. about a light. Oh yeah. No, well, this is. is cool. Yes. It I, is a light. Well, I, I guess it is a light. I think I was thinking like, a. You know what I mean? I was thinking like a, a light fixture, but this is something that you put your filter in and put on like in the filter tray. Right. Oh, that's cool. And it adds a little bit of, Oh, this is neat. I've never heard of this thing. You can control yeah, it's it kind of like um, it's kind of like uh, um, like flashing film, kind of same similar effect. So you yeah, could like yeah, yeah. you could add color to the shadows or the highlights, but it shows up like nicely in the shadows. So if you add like you know, like in Dahmer's living room uh, when he's near the fish tank, uh, that green fish tank, you know, yeah. I would add if there was a shot where it was in the shot, like I would add a little bit of that same color, the same exact color that was in the tank. Cause it's an RGB color. We're working with LEDs. So you could use that to kind of like flash that section of the frame. And, um, that kind of goes in line with like another, 
philosophy I've grown with over the years, which is when in doubt, add a flair, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. I mean, sometimes it'll get you out of a jam, you know? Sometimes it could take a really mundane, boring-ass shot and just give it a little something that'll elevate it, and then, you know, you're on to the next one. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I'll put it in the show notes too, guys, so you can check it out. Um, All right, just plowing through a couple of additional questions here. Everybody's asking what camera. We talked about that. Um, Roberto Martins is curious about the lenses. I know you very briefly mentioned it a few minutes ago when we were talking about camera, but can you you elaborate more on the lens set that you had? Um, Well, uh, it's my friend Bradford Young's company along with Neil uh, Fathom. And um, they uh, they made these lenses called uh, Tribe Seven Black Wings, and then there's an initial set which are called the binaries, and the binaries are kind of like the original, and then the production ones are kind of like a print. Mm-hmm. So like ours are prototypes, you know, they're just a little bit different. They're they're unique kind of lenses. There's only ten sets in the world. Um, Brad and I have been friends for a really long time. And uh, I was doing the film, uh, the high note, uh, which was shooting in 65 and those fil- lenses covered 65. Uh, so that's where I first, uh, kind of got hip to them. And, uh, the idea is that they're, they're tunable. Um, but the set that I have, um, has like a sweet tune already. So like, it's kind of like, they don't need to be adjusted ever again, as far as I'm concerned, they're sweet. Mm. Um, how don't know do they don't look like the other ones uh we had a second set uh tuned to match them um but you know one of those things like it just uh it kind of fell together in a really nice way and they're really really sweet set yeah i'm looking at the website now i've heard of these before i don't have any experience with them, but people have mentioned them on the show before, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, which is kind of cool. That tuning, is that all done factory? Is that something like, do you have the ability to go in there and make changes? Uh, no, I mean, it's, I, you have to send it. Um, they have to go out to Germany. It has to go out, uh, or you can go to, yeah, they go to Germany to to get the adjustment if you want to make an adjustment. Although I think too uh, Close might be doing it. I'm not sure if they're like official yet. Yeah. But after mine were tuned, uh, it was like never, you know, never like look back. And now it's just like, just match that tuning. It's fine. I've got two more questions I wanted to ask you that are coming straight from Instagram. And I think they're, <clears throat> one of them is, it's kind of interesting because I, I don't even know what he's referring to, but maybe <clears throat> you do. Um, Adrian Pax and also Mano Martos um, are asking how did you achieve the effect on the glasses? I don't know what they're talking about. Do you know? I mean, I saw the whole show. I, I was obsessed with it. I just don't remember people, an effect on glasses. A couple people asked me that. Um, those glasses were the biggest pain in my ass. <laughs> uh, if you pay attention, almost every single fucking character is wearing glasses. <laughs> Uh, and when you see, oh, I noticed because I hate glasses too. When we're doing work here at BC Media Productions, it's it's the worst. You, you see Niecy Nash, like if she does this, where she's like, "Listen, Jeffrey Dahmer," like that was for me because I would ask her, 
like, can you just take them off at the head of the scene, like start the scene and then take them off? Because it was just like, it was ridiculous. I tested and I'm always trying to get rid of reflections. So uh, two movies ago I did, it used to be the green. It's like, you had the green tint, um, which, you know, the highlights will look like green screen, green in the glasses. And then when you're in post, you can key that out. And then someone was like, Oh, there's a new one. Uh, that's like more like blue. So I use those for a film and it was like, they're still like a pain in the ass. And then on this one, they're like, they have a new one and it's gold. And I was like, Ooh, gold. That's cool. Cause we're doing gold. <laughs> if it's gold. It must be better. But dude, they were way more reflective than the green. And it was like now all the glasses for every character, which is literally every character has this like gold tint to it. And it was just like, fuck me like every time a new actor would show up and i'd be like you gotta be fucking kidding me like molly ringwald you know she shows up so it's like now mom and dad and Dahmer sitting at a table all with glasses so you know it just changes the way you light a little bit it doesn't like it's not the end of the world it's just really a pain in the ass there's a couple scenes that were it was just like really bad um but you know you get around it I can't imagine that. I mean, it's difficult in just the small things I do. I can't even imagine working with them for, you know, episode after episode after episode. It must be so maddening. Um, it was horrible. Last thing I want to talk to you about is a question from Kid Hudson, DP, on Instagram. And he wants to know what scene was the most emotionally difficult for you to film? Hmm. I mean, none of them really were emotionally difficult for me to shoot. Um, you know, I don't, there wasn't a single thing where I felt like, you know, if I had emotions, it was cause like it's Friday at 2am and I want to go home, but <laughs> I, I never love that had honesty. I never had like, uh, you know, I, it was now for Evan, that's an entirely different story. You know, like oh, yeah. there was, um, like an endless amount of scenes. There was many scenes that were really, really, really like, you know, really difficult for him to, to get through. So, you know, for me, it it was, it, it it wasn't ever a thing. It was, I guess, which scenes were the hardest, you know, for Evan to get through and for me to shoot. And, um, I don't know there was like a, there was a bunch of them. It's not easy to like be a method actor playing Jeffrey Dahmer, Mm. you know, for six months you know, and he goes through the same things I go through with directors as well. Like you have a director and then now you have a new director. It's like, you're going through this thing and now you got to like, kind of like work with this new energy and, you know, you could feel alone. And, uh, so you know, I try my best to support him and we had a really great crew that I feel like did a good job making him feel all right. But, um, yeah, there's no emotions for me. Like in that regard, no. Well, the show is fantastic. It's called uh, Dahmer Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. I mean, anybody listening to this has heard about the show. I mean, how can you not? Everyone's talking about it because it's so goddamn good and in large part to the work that you did, Jason. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences. You. And where can people go online to find you? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm on Instagram uh, under my name. Um, I have a website, 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's like someone wants to be my pen pal. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Jason McCormick, we'll put links to all your stuff in the show notes. And uh, what's up for you next? What are you working on now? Uh, I'm in the middle of prep. I'm doing a project with um, Gus Van Sant out here in New York. Nice. Uh, about um, Chuma Capote and the Swans. I think it's going to be called um, Swan Song. Um, so I said I would never do episodic again and with multiple lied. directors. <laughs> no, I said multiple directors. And then Gus called. And it was just like, you know, what are you going to say? I mean, I came up with Gus. You know, I did Jerry with Gus, Last Days, Restless. So he's kind of like my cinematic uh, father in a way, him and Harris and Chris. Uh, so that's what I'm prepping right now. Oh, there you go. When that thing is out and starts promoting, come back on the show. We'd love to have you. Okay. Yeah, it was nice speaking with you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. It. All right. I want to thank Jason McCormick for coming on the show today and talking to us all about his work on Dahmer. A monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, which is so good. It's just so, so good. It's on Netflix now, so please, if you haven't seen it, check it out. And if you have seen it, check it out again. Now that you've heard Jason talk, it'll give you a little bit of insight into how they filmed the show. Of course, I want you to check out GoCreativeShow.com, where all things Go Creative Show are. Of course, we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all the places you would expect us to be. But I particularly want you to check out YouTube because if you are listening to us and only listening to us, you're kind of missing a little bit of the engagement here. It's a visual medium. You know what I mean? We're all visual people. So it's kind of cool to see the interview and actually see it in, uh, in real life on uh, YouTube. So you can check out our YouTube channel and see the interviewer as they are pondering the questions and giving us their answers. It just, I don't know, it just kind of has a nice flow to it. Believe me, I'm a big podcast listener. I'm a big audio only listener, but there's something kind of nice about watching the interview. And you can do that on our YouTube page. Of course, all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and so you never miss an episode. We are very, very happy to be back, and we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.